ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. There's been some beautiful rain over the weekend and for the first time in a long time, Bushfires NT staff have no major bushfires to fight. Most of the crews have been fighting fires since about April or May, so most of the crews stood down for the weekend and had the first weekend off for a long time. Now, if it's raining at your place this afternoon, let the rest of us know. Our text number zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. We love celebrating rain here at the Country Hour. Looking at the radar, there's some decent storms to the west of Catherine as we go to where today. Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven is that text number. Also today, a trip to Orange Creek Station where there's a smell of loosen in the air and you'll get to meet the new owners of the Cubra hats. If you want to be seen to be proudly Australian, then in and a Cobra is the way to do it. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour. Let's get into it. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast... Mangoes from the Northern Territory have been exported to Los Angeles and are selling this week for nine US dollars each, which is nearly 14 bucks a mango. Whoa! That is decent. These are R2E2s from Catherine, to be precise. Scott Ledger, he's a veteran of the mango industry and he's the supply chain advisor for Manbaloo Mangoes. He's in LA at the moment to watch these mangoes arrive and he told me that despite the long, long journey from Catherine, these mangoes are looking and tasting great. They are are looking fabulous and they're tasting delicious. I don't think we could do any better, Matt. It's it's, um, a real... Real pleasure to see such great quality on the shelf, uh, you know, given um, they were basically picked two weeks ago. Uh, so the retailers are very enthusiastic about it. So um, Gelson's Markets, we've been supplying for five or six seasons. So the uh, produce managers um, know know our mangoes and they just love them. Uh, they just uh, love the... The, the colour, the size and, and the flavour. And these, of course, are R2-E2 mangoes. Your company, Mambaloo, is famous for its Kensington prides. Why is it the R2-E2 that you, that you target this market with? So we, we, we have, uh, in the past, we have supplied Kensington pride into the US market and they absolutely love the flavour of, of, of KP. KP is a softer mango when it's ripe. So, you know, this is a really challenging um, supply chain. So the R2E2 is a better match in terms of the requirements of what we've got to achieve with the handling. Um, The other thing is that another reason why they love the R2s is because it's, it's large and colourful, uh, lovely blush colour, and nothing like any other mango that's currently available. So the other mangoes that are available are coming from Ecuador and Peru, 
they they are they are medium sized mangoes, about the same as KP. So so these these uh, two sort of uh, of ours are really uh, quite distinctive and different to what else is available. And do you market them as R2E2s or just as Australian mangoes? Well, we we do label them as R2, R2E2 mangoes. Um, so we have a fruit sticker on as R2E2 mangoes. What people see is Australian mangoes. So they're not, they're not associating uh, R2E2... Uh, uh, they're associating, associating the fact that they're Australian mangoes. When I, when I when I do describe them that the variety name is R2E2, they all, they all immediately think of Star Wars, <laughs> as most people uh, do, Scott. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but I've got to, I, I, I end up disapp- disappointing them, telling it's got nothing to do with it. But then <laughs> I tell the story of. Of, of it's a description for the the tree in the research place that plotted uh, Bowen and and that intrigues them even more so <laughs> and uh, how much does an American have to fork out to buy an Aussie mango at the moment so in in Gelson's um, they're, they're retailing for 899 uh, a mango and in Sam's Club, slightly smaller size. They're, they're retailing uh, for a three pack for twenty dollars. Nineteen eighty eight, I think it is. Yeah, I've got here. I've got so, here in my calculator. Eight dollars ninety nine equates to thirteen dollars yeah. eighty one a mango each in Aussie dollars. Whew. That's right. And what we all the things we need to do to actually deliver to the shelf. You know it. it it is. It does cost a lot of money to to actually put it on the shelf. And people buy, it, but people buy them at that price, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, so Gelson's, you know, Gelson's, um, is, you know, it's it's like a um, it's like a Harris Farms, and they've got twenty eight around um, LA. So you know, their customers are high end customers for mid to high end. And so I've been asking the produce managers, you know, does the eight ninety nine is that a barrier? Does that stop people buying? Um, and their their standard comment is a few, but uh, but he's, they in Gelson's most of them um, don't balk at the price. It's you know they just because they know the variety and they know it's going to be a great eating experience. And they know they get plenty of mango with an R2. Um, the the price that's not a barrier to their regular customers. Sam's Club's a little different, so I think we're. This is like a this hard. is this is like a Walmart sort of setup for Sam's Club. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like like um, Costco in Australia. Yeah. So so you know people come and buy in bulk with with very large shopping trolleys. They're a lot more price conscious than yeah. than say. Yeah, they, uh, they go to those places for a bargain. Yeah, they mm. yeah they do they do. So mm. yeah, it was interesting to spend time in in some Sam's clubs, and we're packing the mangoes in a very attractive box. Um, so plus the colour of the R2s, it it created a lot of interest. So 
How big of a market has the US become for Australian mangoes? It's pretty stable at present in terms of in terms of the growth. So it's so after after the first few years it it, um, it grew. In the last year, you know, particularly with COVID, um, that's put a you know a real constraint on the supply. That's mm. you know for us for Mambaloo, it's it's going really well. So. Okay. Um, because I, I found, like, I found an old interview from 2015, and uh, it was Gavin Skur at the time, the president of AMIA, predicting the US would grow to a million trays a year. Uh, that hasn't We're played out, <laughs> but yeah. we haven't we haven't quite got there. Yet. And and the fundamental reason is it's a really hard supply chain to manage. So um, because you've got to pre-ripen before the irradiation. It means you're you're then having to control the the ripening process from then onwards very carefully, and if if you don't manage it carefully, you'll you'll lose sh- shelf life. So we're we're only supplying into into LA at this stage. Um, so you know potentially there's the whole of America that we can supply. And uh, well, in five years' time, what what do you think this market could look like? for the Australian industry, Scott? Well, in five years' time, I, I would say we'll be, we'll be um, exporting into um, all areas of the US. So we'll be supplying into Texas and the East Coast and northern areas of, of, uh, of the US. So cur- currently, uh, with the, uh, the quarantine protocol, there's only four four airports into in the US that we can uh, land into: South, uh, San Francisco, LA, Dallas, and New York. So, you know, currently we've we've got a hub in LA, and because the distances are, are very large in in the US, you, you can't land in LA and distribute to the um, to the East Coast. So. So, you know, we'll need to set up, set, set up um, you know, hubs in each of those those major cities. So it's it's all possible, Matt. It's but it you know it requires a lot of a lot of diligence and and knowledge. Lovely talking mangoes with you today, Scott. Thanks so much for your time on the Country Hour. It's been a pleasure, Matt. I'm I'm just going to go and have one of my R twos right now. Scott Ledger, who's the supply chain advisor for Mambaloo Mangoes. He's been in California watching these mangoes from farms near Catherine land in LA on sale there in California. And how about that price, eh? Nearly 14 Aussie dollars per mango. That same mango was selling at a major supermarket in Darwin this morning for $4.90 a piece. Hello there, I'm Sam Theo from Redwich Fruits in Sydney. And this time of the year, all we do is sell mangoes. Mangoes and more mangoes, and we love them. And you're listening to the Country Hour. And tell me, is it raining at your place this afternoon? There's a few storms getting around, especially to the west of Catherine. Online, there's a number of cattle stations celebrating rain today. Sturt Plains is reporting 45 millimetres in the gauge. Forest Hills had 48. Sunday Creek Station, 16. 
Curtin Springs station on the road out to Uluru is reporting they've just had 50 millimetres over the last two weeks. Some short, sharp falls within severe storms but widespread rain. And there's been 70 millimetres at the Daily Waters airstrip, 27 at Territory Grape. These are good totals. We'll be speaking to the Weather Bureau at five past one to get the very latest, get a sense of the week ahead. Is there more rain to come? Is it raining at your place? Let us know. We love celebrating the rain on the Country Hour. Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven is our text. The Kubra hats, an iconic piece of clothing in Australia. And have you heard the news? This business has got brand new owners. You'll meet them next. That's Lee Kernigan, Hat Town. I haven't heard that one for a while. Got an awesome report here from Huckata Station out there on the Plenty. Uh, they're reporting 73.5 millimetres over the last week. Oh, oh beautiful. Uh, that's come through on 0487 on the topic of hats have you seen the news iconic Australian hat maker Akubra has been sold to mining magnates Andrew and Nicola Forrest Akubra has been run by the Kerr family for the last 147 years as Tina Quinn reports It's an Australian fashion staple, famously donned by celebrities and prime ministers, and the new owners of Akubra hats, which have been handmade in Australia for almost 150 years, intend to keep it that way. Australia is the winner out of this. Australia keeps a legacy at home with an organisation who's so proud to be Australian, who's so proud of our nation, our history, everything which our diggers have fought for, the fact these hats are worn all over the world by our diggers, by Australians everywhere. If you want to be seen to be proudly Australian, then in an Akrubra is the way to do it. Mining magnates Andrew and Nicola Forrest over the weekend announcing their private investment firm Tatarang had acquired a Kubra from the Kia family after 147 years of ownership. The Akubra business started in Hobart in 1876 and the hats have been manufactured in Kempsey on the New South Wales mid-north coast since 1972. Over the last 50 years since its Kempsey workshop first opened, they've become a major employer for the region with more than 120 staff. Akubra's outgoing chair, Stephen Keir, said the decision to sell was a difficult one but cited the COVID-19 pandemic as one of the main drivers. The first six months of the pandemic were really, really tough. Uh, then it took off, and that's where we've been stuck. We've had it to a point and we can't get it further. And um, that's where we made the decision to look at our, where we can go, how we do it, and the world's out there. Most of our sales are in Australia. So Tatarang will take that further and do that. My sisters and I have talked for a long time about um, where we can get this business to, and we've we've done a pretty good job to get it where it is now and our forefathers have done a good job to where it is but it needs more and um, we were just worried that we weren't going to be able to give it what it needs and um, Tattering and the forests have proven um, what they've done with Aaron Williams um, we've dealt with Aaron Williams for, for a long time and um, it's just the brand, we, we took ourselves out of the picture and thought what does the brand need and what does the company need and um, this is a decision we came to and um, 
Mr Forrest has talked to me over the years. Andrew Digger. Andrew's <laughs> talked to me over the years. And um, he, his passion for manufacturing here is what a place like this needs. Terence Hunt, a former Akubra employee of 53 years, told the ABC's Samantha Aisha that he has many fond memories from his time at the company. I started in 1961. I retired as the company secretary in 1995 and retired as a director in 2014. So what would you say would be the most rewarding time since your time at Akubra? There have been a couple of really good times. 1998 with the uh, centenary and the uh, Commonwealth Games in Brisbane, a dramatic increase in demand. And we rose to the challenge, dropped off then since, but since then it's, it's picked up. And with the last one I was involved, we were selling into 23 countries. A bit large for a small Australian company. So how do you feel with the new ownership? Well, I was saying to somebody else, Charles Darwin never said the survival of the fittest. He said it was the survival of those who adapt fastest. And this generation has adapted to the situation they're in now. There's certainly Mr. Forrest coming in with his assets that he's got available to back the company to do more and bigger things. have to applaud that. It's good thinking. It's advancing in Cuba. It's advancing in Australia. And what legacy do you hope that the company carries on? Um, looking after the employees, looking after their customers, looking after their suppliers. And it's always been a family company, and that's been a very strong point. Andrew and Nicola Forrest have vowed to expand Akubra's operations, pointing to their 2020 purchase of the Australian boot label RM Williams, which has seen an increase to that brand's workforce of more than 500 people. The Forrests announced they had separated this year, but continue to invest together through Tatarang. Tina Quinn with that report, and you can read more about the sale of a Cobra on the ABC Rural website. And apologies, it's the Keir family, not the Kerr family. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Now, Dan Fitzgerald's come running into the studio, waving his hands around and saying, Matt, I've got some more big hat news. What is this big hat news? Uh, some very expensive hat news, Matt. Yes. Because a hat has sold for $3.2 million. Whoa. And this is not just any hat. You'd, it'd want to be a special hat. It's Napoleon Bonaparte's hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of those famous black hats he wore with the two points. Uh, he owned about 120 of them oh. over his lifetime. Yep. Uh, there are believed to be about 20 of them getting around, so not too many. But yeah, one has just sold in auction over the weekend for about $3.2 million. And what I learned in this story is that you know, there were plenty of military men wearing these sort of hats at the time. But most of the people wore those uh, pointed, so the point was uh, over the nose, out mm-hmm. to the front. But Napoleon, he wore his to the side, so the points are out over top of his shoulders. And that was so he could be recognised on the battlefield. On the battlefield. Yeah. Right, yeah. There's a new movie coming out about Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. Maybe the, the people who own the hat. Thought they might get a bit of extra dollars selling it. They've timed it well. Uh, The hat was supposed to, it was sort of expected to sell for less than half of of what it got. So there's plenty of interest. Beauty. What a a time to be in hats. And we just heard there about the sale of a Cobra. I've just found a landline story from 2014. And the headline back in 2014 when it came to a Cobra hats was that a rabbit shortage was forcing a Cobra to look offshore for raw hat materials and they were importing it in the end from Ukraine. 
for the rabbits. Surely we're not still importing rabbits that sounds from Ukraine like that right ad. now. What was, it, was it the Telstra ad, you know, about you know, why they build a rabbit-proof fence? And that's, uh, uh. Alrighty, thanks for the hat news, Dan. Uh, no worries. Here's what's going on. Ah, someone listening will know the answer to that. What was that ad where the dad said, oh, it's the Nazi goring and the rabbits. Ah, oh, it's just escaping my brain at the moment. It was an awesome ad. What's the time here? Six to one, and you are tuned into the Country Hour. We all know you require a level of toughness to live in the Territory. But with the rising cost of living, we know it's getting tougher. The National Debt Helpline's very busy. That's why ABC Radio is proud to team up with Anglicare NT for this year's Gives. Offering over 100 different services. There's a lot of good stuff happening in the community. And making a difference this giving season. ABC gives us opportunity to tell their stories. Donate today at abc.net.au slash gives. On the text line 0487991057, Paul and Humpty Doo says, I see Italy has banned the production and sale of lab-grown meat. Well done, reckons Paul. Yes, I saw that story over the weekend. Big move there by Italy. And Graham from Alloa says, Matt, I won't be happy with a Kubra and its sale to Twiggy starts buying Oz rabbit skins instead of importing them. There's still plenty of bunnies running around, especially near Canberra, says Graham from Alloa. So they're still importing the skins. We might have to look into that a little bit more. They certainly were back in, what, 2014, 2015, and getting them from Ukraine, which I just I can't believe. Uh, also making news on the weekend, did you see this? And I reckon if you're a farmer and if you use the product Roundup, you should be seeing this because it is big news. The European Commission has approved the use of glyphosate for another decade. All right, so glyphosate has been given the tick in Europe. Farmers around the world were worried that the EU would not renew this chemical's approval given strong pressure from anti-glyphosate campaigners and claims that glyphosate is a health hazard. In Australia, the head of crop life, Matthew Cossie, says without access to this chemical, which kills a broad spectrum of weeds, food production in this nation would have been affected. Glyphosate's a crucial tool for farmers here in Australia, but uh, equally in Europe and around the world. So it's good to see that uh, the European Commission's uh, made the decision, which is based on all the independent expert scientific advice. The one great advantage we have in Australia is we have an independent science-based regulatory system. It doesn't involve politics, just made on data and uh, expert assessment. The European system gets a little more convoluted than that. And while all their independent agencies endorse the uh, uh, approval of glyphosate uh, and the European Commission's own expert committees have, it then also nominally needs to be approved at a political level. And they've struggled even to get that meeting to have quorum. So the European Commission's decision is a good common sense one and one that uh, confirms uh, the uh, importance of glyphosate. And this, I believe, follows the assessment by the European Food and Safety Authority as well. That's right. Their Food and Safety Authority, their uh, chemical expert committees, um, along with all the independent scientific regulators within each of the EU countries have all uh, done the assessments. Really, it's uh, just a a matter of uh, good common sense uh, decisions. One, obviously, very important for European farmers, but also uh, important for Australian farmers so that we don't see European sort of uh, agricultural politics get in the way of any of our export markets. On that note, what implications would an EU ban on glyphosate, for example, have on the Australian grain growers? 
Well, I don't think we've seen European politics has got so ridiculous that they ban it, but it would uh, cause some uh, difficulties. That would be going to uh, products that are banned in Europe um, means that there's challenges with exporting to that market for Australian farmers who do use it. This is one of the really important issues, particularly around trade and particularly while the EU over recent times and, and recently in an attempt to get a free trade agreement have sought to enforce farming practices on farmers in Australia and around the world that they wish to impose there. And that's something that we need to be very cautious of because as I said in Australia, the decisions made here are made by independent expert regulators based on evidence. And as we've just seen earlier this year with the uh, ABARES report, Australian farmers are some of the best practice and uh, most uh, environmentally sustainable farmers in the world. So we need to protect good agronomic policy here and we can't let trade issues warp that. So I think that's why uh, overall, uh, both for Australia and for Europe and globally, it's good to see some common sense finally come through in the European Commission. Last December, it was extended by 12 months. This time it's a 10-year agreement. What, why do you think there's been such a large jump in how long this is going to last? I think the European Commission and all their expert bodies recognise there's uh, no reason for it not to be extended at least 10 years and really it should just be indefinitely. All the evidence is there about its importance, its safety and why it's a critical tool for farming. And I think uh, really we're just seeing them move through their political process. It is, again, one of those bizarre things that happens in European politics that they have what should be pure independent scientific decisions uh, get caught up in politics. And again, one of the advantages we have here in Australia that we see less of that with our own expert independent regulator. That's Matthew Cossey, who's the Chief Executive of Crop Life, speaking to Jane McNaughton. Now, we've got to go to the newsroom because it's one o'clock, but in five minutes' time, we'll have a chat to the Weather Bureau. As always, if you have a question for the Bureau, send it through on that text number, 0487 991057. We've just been made aware of a cattle station in the top end that's got over 100 millimetres in the gauge, and it's still raining so we'll hopefully get them on the phone for a chat. So see you back here in five. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedich from Taruna Proprietary Limited and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory and you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon and tell me, is it raining at your place? Huckata Station's reporting 73.5 millimetres in the gauge. There's some big storms to the west of Catherine. And as you'll hear in a moment, for the first time in a long time, Bushfires NT staff have no major bushfires to fight. Most of the crews have been fighting fires since about April or May, so most of the crews stood down for the weekend and had the first weekend off for a long time. And we've also been talking rabbits, given the sale of Akubra hats. And I've found it. I've found the uh, old ad that I was talking about. It's been a while, but can you remember this one? Dad, why did they make the Great Wall of China? That, that was during the time of Emperor Nazi Goring, and uh, it was to keep the rabbits out. Too many rabbits in China. Okay, now Daniel will do his talk on China. <laughs> Remember that one? Uh, we'll do a bit of digging around and just see what sort of percentage it is these days for a Cuba in terms of 
local rabbits versus imported rabbits. I'm, I'm now intrigued. Thanks to you. And thanks to someone who sent us a picture of, well, hard to tell if this is rabbit meat for sale in the Northern Territory or not. Uh, but it's clearly rabbit meat. And the little sign next to it says, you've seen them on film. You've read the book. Now eat the cast. Rabbits. It is a delicious meat. I know the brand family. We grew up on what we called Kentucky Fried Bunny. And it was delicious stuff. Uh, let's go to the Weather Bureau because there's lots going on. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. How are you, Beck? Um, good, thank you, Matt. Now, you've got the rainfall figures for the 72-hour period over the weekend. What are some of the best totals there? Yeah, we had um, we had showers and storms pretty much right throughout the Territory across the weekend. Um, so pretty active across the south. Uh, we've had... Uh, looks like the highest in the southern areas is at Territory Grape with 54 millimetres. Uh, but Arden Soak also 43. But yeah, generally sort of 10 to 20 or 30 millimetres across the, the southern districts. Um, up in the Barclay, Tennant Creek had 14 millimetres. Um, further north, uh, we've had... Um, 70 millimetres at Daly Waters. That was uh, mostly this morning with um, storms that originated probably in the, the northern Barclay district and slowly, slowly made their way northwards uh, overnight. Um, and those storms now, as you mentioned, around the Catherine area, um, where we've seen some, some pretty decent totals as well, uh, even since... Since 9am, uh, Wildon Station has recorded 70 millimetres, um, Flora River 43. So, um, yes, yeah, some, some good rainfall right across the Territory. In terms of the week ahead, what should people expect in terms of rainfall? Yeah, improving chances across the, the top end. So we did have a, a relatively dry weekend um, for the most part. Um, today and tomorrow, the daily district should be seeing some more showers and storms, and we've already seen that this morning. Um, probably still fairly dry over the Arnhem district for a couple of days, but showers and storms spreading over there from about midweek as well. Um, pretty active as well through those um, central districts continuing. Um, there is a risk of severe thunderstorms today over the the Barclay, um, northern Tanami and uh, southeastern parts of the Gregory district. So uh, just keep an eye out for any warnings there this afternoon. We're just starting to see the first thunderstorms starting to develop over the, the southern Barclay as we speak. They'll take the rain, but... Potentially not the lightning strikes. Back. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully there was enough rainfall across the Barclay over the last twenty-four hours that um, reduced that, the threat there. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think, um, I think there's a lot of cattle stations out there that are just really celebrating today because they've had enough rain to sort of get them out of that that fire danger, you know, and and get into a wet season which is great because the long-range forecast was not looking promising. But if they can just jag a bit more of this, then, um, you know, they're into the wet season and happy days, I think. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this week should be fairly this promising. This could be a good one, yeah. Yeah. Beauty. Anything um, else people should be aware of? Uh, yeah, just that thunderstorm risk today and tomorrow mostly um, does shift a bit more to the Gregory District, so if you're out that way, uh, be aware of that tomorrow. 
um, be drier across the um, the Lasseter and Simpson districts for the next few days. So. Yeah, beauty. All right then, thanks so much, uh, Beck. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks, Matt. That is Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. It is ten past one, and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Uh, on the line now, we've got Beck Morbell, who's at Matheson Station, about 100 k's to the west of Catherine. What's the weather like at your place this afternoon, Beck? Uh, well, we finally had some rain and it's still overcast, so hopefully there's a bit more coming. How much rain? Um, only only 6.8 here at the house, but another rain gauge a um, bit further to the south, it was 117.8, Ooh. which, uh, yeah, it was a little bit wet getting there to measure that one. <laughs> What does that sort of rainfall mean for Matheson at this time of the year? Oh, well, the biggest thing for us is it means we've escaped the fires, I think. Um, yeah, been on on the edge for the last couple of months while, while there's been all these horrible fires around, wondering when we were going to get hit, and, um, and this hopefully will give us a, a pretty big buffer against that. Wow. You've, have you managed to avoid fire altogether at Matheson? I don't want to say that. Yeah. I don't want to jinx us, but I think this year so far we have. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm. And so just looking at the radar, there's a big blob that looks almost stuck out that way, um, which is good. Yeah, it's, it, that big blob's um, to, to the north of us now, but I don't know, it might swirl back around here and give us another hit. We'll see. And so is there any cattle work to be done at, at Matheson? Or is that oh, wrapped up for the year? I've got a handful of heifers um, to shift and some bulls to go out, but apart from that, yeah, we're pretty well wrapped up. And I can hear the rain in the background, Beck. No, that's that's just the air conditioner. No, that's the aircon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Well, 117 at one of the gauges there at Matheson. It's wonderful news. Thanks for sharing it with us. No worries. Thank you. Have a lovely afternoon. Thanks, you too. That is Beckmore Bell there at Matheson Station. Yeah, only 6-7 at the homestead, but uh, further out, 117. That is good rain. If it's raining at your place this afternoon, let the rest of us know. 0487 1057 is the text. ABC Cricket Magazine is 90 not out. The 90th anniversary issue of the ABC Cricket Magazine is out now. Edited by the voice of summer, Jim Maxwell. He's bold, that's it! Your essential guide to summer looks back at 90 years of ABC Cricket, Usman Khawaja, and a celebration of Jim Maxwell's 50 years behind the microphone. Australia have won! Player profiles, stats and scorecards are all there too. ABC Cricket Magazine, out now at newsagents and abcmagazines.com.au. That relief, hey, of... Not only getting rain, but getting away from that risk of bushfires. This is a story that's unfolding for quite a few stations in the NT. I know there's a lot who need more rain, but the rain's coming. The fire danger is reducing, and it's great stuff, isn't it? And for the first time in months, as we go to air right now, there are no significant bushfires in the Northern Territory. Tony Fuller is from Bushfires NT. He says the weekend just gone was the first in months that his staff have not been out there actively fighting fires. Most of the crews stood down for the weekend and had the first weekend off for a long time. Um, no call-outs, which was good. And, uh, yeah, we just, at this stage, we've just taken uh, some well-earned uh, downtime and spending a bit of time fixing up the vehicles that have been pretty well damaged over the last... Two months down here anyway. 
couldn't have come at a better time by the sound of this rain. Yeah, it's a bit of a, I said this before, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It gives us some respite, but also uh, likely to increase the fuel loads later in the season. So you know, whilst it's good to have some downtime, it's uh, we're not looking forward to what might happen in the next two to three months. Well, I was walking north of the Telegraph station yesterday and uh, they had 50 mils plus and you can see the green shoots are already there. So uh, it's the inevitability. H- how much and how widespread has that rain been and ha- has it been pretty much across um, Central Australia so far? Yeah, look, I, I haven't had a real good look at that. I've just known that the fires have abated, which is good. I know, yeah, there's obviously some areas that have got more rain than others, but uh, at the moment, our main focus is that the fires have stopped uh, for the moment, but it's likely that, you know, all we need is one lightning strike in an area that's dry and uh, there hasn't got the rainfall and we'll be back at work. Yeah. Has the, um, I mean, if you, say you've got two inches of rain, will that dampen down the fire risk for what period of time? I mean, how, how long will that keep things under control for? Yeah, it's a bit hard to tell. Like I said, there's not everywhere got rain, so there'll be some dry patches. Um, but it's also hampers a little bit because you know, it doesn't take much once you go off the road here at the moment in Alice and uh, you meet in some soggy ground. So some of the mitigation work that we might have been able to get to done will have to be delayed a little bit till we know that the ground is uh, hardened up again yeah uh we had concern over the last week uh, up in the hearts range riddick and belinda also i know there was continuing issues still on parts of undulia under the gardens into the late last week and that costello uh also the fire where, where are those ones up the one in the barkley how is that also under control with some rain or is that still going no, that's uh, quietened down significantly. Um, there's no concerns being raised with us this morning, so we'll obviously keep an eye on that area and um, just yeah, play it by ear with that one. Okay, and other areas around the centre of Barkley, any other areas of concern as, as we speak this morning? As you said, the nephew's looking really good for us this morning um, and we'll just use this time to get these vehicles done and uh, reassess some of the planning that we might be able to get some mitigation work done in the next week or two. Yeah. And- uh, get get back out there. It hasn't been this quiet for three months. At least it was been maybe even longer. I, my memory is so poor, but it's been a while. Yeah, well, most of, most of the crews have been fighting fires since about April or May. So we, some of them have moved down from Darwin uh, and Savoy at the moment. But uh, yeah, there's a fair few of the crews have been on the fire ground since about May this year. So it's this is the first day in a long time that I don't think we actually turned out anyone to a fire. That is Bushfires NT's incident controller, Tony Fuller, speaking to Brashy this morning. The good news is there's no news on the fire front, and it's been a while. And he's right. Look at the NAFI website today. It's the best it's looked in months. It's 17 past one, and you are tuned into the country hour. Last week, we were smelling durians. Up next, the smell of freshly cut loosen in central Australia. We're off to Orange Creek Station. Stick around. There's more money in mud than dust, they say. You are tuned into the Country Hour on a Monday lunchtime. It's 20 past one. Let's head to Orange Creek Station now, which is about an hour south of Alice Springs. The owners there have got a feedlot and also a couple of centre pivots, which grow crops like oats, sorghum and lucerne. Victoria Ellis went for a visit just before that weekend rain and caught up with the farm manager, Dwayne Buddle. That's, yeah, pretty good. It's only been in the shed a couple of months, but yeah, still, 
scrape the yellow stuff from the outside and it's still lush and green in the middle. Hi, I'm Dwayne from Orange Creek Lucent Farm. I manage the operations here for the crop side of our, our job. We're standing in next to a hay shed, next to a pile of uh, first cut oat and hay. We got just uh, just at the start of winter. You know, if you were some Melbourne person who'd just moved to Alice Springs and didn't know the first thing about hay, what is it that you'd want them to know? Well, for starters, we can get a lot more cuts per year than, than southern uh, country, the southern part of the country. Um, whereas they, some of them, I've had old farms come in and exclaim that they can, on a good year, they get five cuts a year. Whereas with their sorghum, oh, with their loosen, we um, average ten cuts a year. Sometimes we get twelve. We um, we can summertime we can cut it every three weeks. Sometimes even two if, if the weather conditions are just right. Yeah, why is that? Just the the length of the day hours, uh, the warm weather, the the sunlight. I think um, good quality sandy loamy soil. And yeah, the, the water and nutrients we put through it. Smells like it's pretty good hay. How many bales do you have? Uh, we've got about 60 in the shed at the minute. Um, the total cut was over 200, but yeah, a lot of that went down to the, to the feedlot. At the moment, it's kind of humid in Central Australia over the last few days. Has that been an issue when you're baling with moisture levels at all? We actually prefer a bit of humidity. Um, sometimes a bit too much, but yeah, uh, our summers it's... It's hard to get good quality hay because it's actually so so dry and um, we have a very small baling window. It's, um, I call it like an avocado, like it's not quite ready and then all of a sudden it's just right, then it's too far gone in, in a matter of minutes. So. so how do you normally manage that problem in a typical hot year? <laughs> well, we've, um, usually I'm just up every couple of hours through the night keeping an eye on the, on the hay and when it's ready to go we hook into it as, as quick as we can. Um, the last couple of years, when it's really hot, dry weather, we've actually started doing silage, so we don't have to worry about get drying the hay. It's just a matter of cutting it, baling it, and then we take it straight to the yards the next day and, and wrap it and put it under plastic and, and cure it under that. How did it grow this year? How has this hay season been compared to other years? Yeah, it's been pretty good. We've um, changed our fertiliser. We use a organic guano with um, potassium and, and other stuff and other trace elements in it, and it's really making the crop go gangbusters this year, a lot better than the um, synthetic fertilisers that we used to use. How easy is it to get rid of hay this year compared to other years? Well, most of our hay goes straight into my boss's feedlot anyway, so it's, we, do, we have an automatic market for it. Um, a few stations by office, but most of it goes into in through the feedlot. Are more stations curious this year because of all the fires and that having less pasture around? Yeah, I've had a few extra phone calls this year asking if we've, what we've got. Um, but, yeah, they still ask around and they always take the best price anyway. What is the price? These sell for 385 a bale. Yeah, that's on-farm. On um, but, yeah, it's lo locally grown and, yeah, fresh as you can get. That is Dwayne Buttle, who's Orange Creek's farm manager, speaking there to Tori Ellis. So the crops are looking the goods there at Orange Creek. The cattle are looking good too. But what about cattle prices? As you know, the cattle market has been falling this year. And for Wally Klein, it's now got to the point for him where it's not worth selling stock at the moment. And he's sending a lot of wieners back into the paddock. We've just got wiener. Santa Wiener heifers that we uh, are placing b uh, back in the paddock because um, 
the cattle prices are very, very depressed at the moment and um, we're probably just at a break-even point with the way the cattle prices are at the moment once you take the freight out. So we're just not selling anything at the moment until we see what happens. Sue, can you tell me about what happened last time you tried to sell a herd? Yeah, look, uh, we sold some cattle in the Adelaide Hills market and they average between $1.30 and $1.80, so that's break-even for us. won't be selling any more until we're lucky we've got this Lucent farm here that can support us and we can hold them for a while. What were the prices like this time last year? This time last year we were selling wieners here on the property for $5 a kilo. Huge difference there. Huge difference, yeah. What What are you thinking and feeling seeing that difference in prices? Um, I'm not really sure, but I think it's uh, got a fair bit to do with the dry conditions all around Australia um, and this oversupply of market. Like, the feedlots are not buying any feeder cattle at all at the moment. So it's just oversupply, I'm, I'm hoping. So your game plan is it to bush some of those cattle then keep them fed with you know the hay and whatever pasture you've got here and then try and sell them at another time yeah yeah it makes it very difficult considering we've just had half the place burnt burnt off with massive bushfires um and means we'll be overstocking some areas but we've got no option how much does having hay help with the overstocking Oh, absolutely. Um, we wouldn't be able to keep any cattle if we didn't have this farm going. And could you tell me a little bit more about the firefighting as well? Um, on the boundary of Orange Creek and um, I'm guessing Owen Springs is where you've had to be doing a lot of work? Yeah, most of the work was over that side um, and our eastern boundaries. But, um, you know, we put in over 200 kilometres of fire breaks and containment lines and... Um, we were the same as everybody that's fighting fires, you know, working daylight 24-7, daylight till dark and after dark back burning. It, it's just um, been full on for everybody in the whole, whole region. That's Wally Klein, the station manager at Orange Creek, speaking to Victoria Ellis. We really appreciate Wally sharing some time for the Country Hour, and you'd imagine he would have got a bit of rain there over the weekend, which would have helped things for sure. Uh, Wally said he wanted to thank everyone at Bushfires NT, who he said have been dealing with an enormous task while understaffed, but have been doing a fantastic job. So that's something Wally wanted to pass on. Tales from the tinny. Throw them out, slowly bring it back. If there wasn't barrier there, you wouldn't be there, but that's that's what makes the territory special. You can see 54 set of eyes around. 54 Crazy. sets of croc eyes. I'm not even exaggerating, there's that many crocs. Subscribe to the podcast. Minister, what's your biggest barrier? Minister, can you demonstrate your proficiency at tying an FG knot? Minister, are you capable of respooling your own reels? Minister. A fat is that Catch it from 5.30 Friday on ABC Radio Darwin. Cattle stations are getting rain. They're selling mangoes from Catherine in the US for $14 a pop. There's lots going on in the land of rural at the moment. If you've missed any of the Country Hour, a reminder you can catch it via the podcast. you find it wherever you get your favourite podcasts. A reminder, we'll be broadcasting live from the Territory Natural Resource Management Conference on Wednesday. Looking forward to that one. Uh, in the meantime, keep it rural. <laughs>